Today on Summit Life, Pastor J.D. Greer talks about patience. Guys, sometimes we pray for relief and what God is doing is refining because his highest value in us is our trust and our satisfaction with him and a possession of a character like his. And he often uses pain and struggle to produce that in us. to Summit Life with J.D. Greer. I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Have you ever taken a shortcut in life? Maybe you were just a few points away from passing a class, so you cheated on the final, or you wanted a new car so badly that you took out a loan you couldn't afford. We've all made little compromises, believing they'd bring us a better life now and help us get ahead. But today, Pastor J.D. explains that God's timing is always the best timing, and there's no way to rush His plans. We're in a new series called Search for a King, and Pastor J.D. titled this message, Patience. Stories in the Bible, like the one we find um, with King David that we're studying, are there really for two reasons. Uh, The first is they're there to point us to Jesus. A king is whatever you look to in your life that would guarantee you stability and happiness. Um, It doesn't have to be another person. It it, it might be something like romance. It could be something uh, that you're searching for like like career stability. Uh, It might be success. It might be something that you turn to like some kind of, uh, just something you enjoy. Uh, Something that adds stability and adds happiness to your life. That is what a a king is. Well, today we're going to see David deal with an issue that almost all of us have dealt with at some point. Um, in fact, many of you are dealing with it right now. That is when you're in a situation where things are not going like you thought they would go and things are not going like you thought they should go. What do you do when you're in that place? I want to talk about a huge temptation that many of us fall into when we get into situations like that and one that can completely derail what God is doing in our life. So many of us y'all fall into this temptation and that is to take matters into our own hands, to get ahead of God. All right, and so there's a tension between those two. What should you be doing in that tension? That's a huge question in my life that you're going to see up here in David's ear. 1 Samuel 24 through chapter 26, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to see David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. David's just got a handful of guys with him, and Saul comes at him with 3,000 people. And Saul came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. It is very easy because of our desires to interpret our circumstances wrongly as being something in the will of God when it is not. I hear this in how people think about making decisions to spend money. Like, you know, I wanted a flat screen TV and then one went on sale at Best Buy. And that day I got a new credit card application in the mail. Seriously. Listen, here's the point. Our desires are not a good guide to the will of God. All right? circumstances are not a good guide to the will of God because both those things can be so deceptive. The word of God is the only reliable guide to the will of God. Your passions and your circumstances can really lead you astray. They really can and make you justify things that are just not right. We need to know the word of God and we need to let it rule our passions and interpret our circumstances. So David relents. Somewhere in the midst of this approach, He has a change of heart. And when Saul, he gets up close to Saul, and when Saul leans over to grab some toilet paper or something, David stealthily cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. 
He leans over, he holds his nose. Verse six, but he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Even if Saul is wrong, he's saying, David is saying, this is God's appointed king and these are God's appointed circumstances and it's not for me to take matters into my own hands. He's like, I cannot violate the commands of God to accomplish the purposes of God in my life. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. So Saul finishes up, flushes, goes out of the cave. It's called a royal flush, by the way. That's what I wrote over there in my Bible. Sorry. Saul goes on his way a little way, down over a hill or two, and David comes out of the cave. And uh, David comes out, and he calls after Saul, and he says, verse 8, My lord, the king. And Saul, you know, looks behind him. David bows with his face to the earth and pays homage and All the guys in his army are back there fanning themselves, you know, getting a breath after being in the cave. Verse 9, David says to Saul, why are you listening to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? And then he waves a little corner of his robe that he cut off. He's like, 10, verse 10, behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11, see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For the fact, by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and didn't kill you, you should know that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall never touch you. Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancients, proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. By the way, the opposite of that proverb would be the ends justify the means. Let me show you what that means. Taking God, or excuse me, taking matters into your own hands looks like one of four things. Here they are. Number one, revenge. Number two, stolen pleasure is a way that that we take matters into our own hands. Life hasn't turned out. So you find escape and some stolen pleasure and you just feel justified in doing so. Here's your third thing, compromise. Compromise. You You got revenge, you got stolen pleasure, you got compromise. This is the girl who says, I'm tired of being single. And I know God wants me to be happy. So I get together with this guy who's clearly not the kind of guy I should marry, but you know, it's going to be okay. It's better than being single. So compromise is getting to the purposes of God by breaking the commands of God. Here is number four, getting ahead of God. Number four, getting ahead of God. You force a career change. You manipulate circumstances. You engage in self-promotion to make something happen. Waiting on God means waiting on him the way that that waiter at that really expensive restaurant waits on me. Meaning that the moment that he sees, the moment that he perceives that there is something that's an intention in my mind, he's ready to do it. What it means to wait on God is that you are so tuned to what he is wanting to do and so patient that you are going to act when he tells you and to the full extent of when he tells you, but you're not going to get ahead of him. It's only by waiting on God and by pursuing God's purposes in God's ways, with God's timing, that you experience God's blessing. Guys, you got to learn to wait. This is one of the most important skills of the believer, waiting. you got to wait on God because the biggest enemy to what God really wants to do in your life is you getting ahead of all of it and blowing it. you got to learn to wait. So here's a question. Where do you, where do you find the resources to wait? That's one thing. I mean, you know, one of our pastors told me, every time I hear that marshmallow test, I feel guilty because I'm just totally marshmallow grabber. 
And all my kids, as far as I can tell right now, are marshmallow crabbers. Um, Where do you find the resources to wait? Well, you know, lucky for us, we have a psalm that David wrote where he told us that. So hold your place there in 1 Samuel 24. Flip over to Psalm 57. Psalm 57, you notice the first part of Psalm 57, the title? It says, a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. In other words, David wrote this psalm in 1 Samuel 24. This, this, is the ty- this is David's soundtrack to what he's going through. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. He's pleading that God would help him out. This is before he becomes king. For in you my soul takes refuge, and the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms and smells of destruction pass by. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me. Let me give you four words that characterize the patient heart. Okay, four words that characterize the patient's heart. I'm going to pull them all out of here. Number one, sovereignty. Sovereignty, verse two. Verse two, in the cave, David said, God will fulfill his purpose for me. I don't have to break God's commands to get to where God wants me to go. David doesn't know how God's going to do it, but he knows that he will do it. David knows that God will fulfill his purpose, and nobody, nothing can stand in the way of that. David knows that God will give his best to those who leave the choices to him. Notice, by the way, also verse 2, that, that David's prayer here is a mixture. Do you see this? Of humble pleading and quiet trust. David's not just sitting around, you know, be like, well, God's predestined it. I can't change it. I mean, no, David is asking God to change it. Like, God, change this, please. I know you can change it. But after praying, he trusts in the sovereignty of God. Here's, here's a second very important word. Number two, steadfast love, verse 3. David is confident in God's steadfast love toward him. This is not just resolution to fate. It's a confidence that God is working all things in his life according to a loving plan. The Muslims that I lived among in Southeast Asia used to have a belief they called takdir. Takdir is the, the idea that God has already kind of set everything and basically you and I are just living out a plan that he or he has arranged. It's just basically fate. That's not what this is right here for a couple of reasons. One, you see David pleading for God to, to do things. So one, we got you know, God responding to prayer. But, but more importantly, a lot of times something would happen in a Muslim's life over there and they would say, well, it's just fate, you know? And, and in the back of their minds, they're thinking that God was paying them back for something that they'd done. That God was, you know, the, 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 there, was, there was God's evil intent in their lives to, to mess them up because of, of bad decisions they'd made. You know, the gospel gives you something that is just liberating on this regard, is that I know that regardless of what is happening in my life, God is not punishing me for my sin. You know how I know that? Because God has already poured out all the wrath for my sin on Jesus Christ. Therefore, anything that's happened in my life cannot be punishment because God can't punish twice for the same sin. That would be unjust. So I know that no matter what's happening, God's not paying me back for something because God paid Jesus back for the things that I've done wrong. So when, I, when in the gospel I have believed that Jesus suffered in my place for my sin, I know that all that remains for me is goodness and mercy, not harshness and wrath. So even in the midst of difficult situations that I find myself in the middle of, I know that God is working all things together for good. There are certain things in your life that feel like backwards motion to you. you something happens, you're like, why didn't I get that promotion? How come this turn got made? Why did my marriage turn out like this? Why was I abused? Listen, I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm not trying to say that, you know, God was the one doing all. I'm not trying to say any of that. I'm just trying to say that in the gospel, you know that God has a loving purpose 
that he was and is pursuing in you and that every movement in your life, good and bad, is working toward that purpose. Do you believe that? Do you believe that and can you patiently wait for it? Guys, sometimes we pray for relief and what God is doing is refining because his highest value in us is our trust and our satisfaction with him and a possession of a character like his. And he often uses pain and struggle to produce that in us. But he is always, in all things and at every moment, working for our good. You believe that? If you do believe it, then you won't take matters into your own hands. And you're like, well, J.D., yeah. It must be awesome to have your job, get up there and say a bunch of stuff, you know, when you don't have to live down here with us. Like, I don't have a real life, too. And you think that, but you're like, hey, you don't know what I'm going through. Maybe I don't. But just listen to David for a minute. Verse 4, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down in the midst of fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David's being chased by a rabid king who's trying to kill him. I feel like people were trying to devour me. And every night he says, my dreams, they haunt me like hungry lions. Yeah, I, I think David might know a little bit what you're going through. Yeah, like, we went through bankruptcy. We've, we, we, we've had an unexpected pregnancy, Right? I've been betrayed by a friend. I've been betrayed by a spouse. I got laid off. I got overlooked for a promotion. David understands. It's like I feel like every day I'm pursued by jackals and at night I'm haunted by him. Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. But what, what, what is that? What's David praying for there? For who to be exalted? God. Write this word down. Number three, selflessness. David's prayed for relief. David prays for relief, but his primary prayer is for God to be exalted whether in David's rescue or in his pain. What do you pray for in pain? You ever move beyond personal relief to God being exalted in your life? You ever move beyond relief to God's exaltation? Nothing wrong with praying for relief. But you ever get beyond that to where you say, God, even if I suffer, the point is you being exalted. This is one of the primary differences between David and Saul. If Saul's only concerned about personal exaltation, Saul thinks about his comfort and his name. David knows it's not about him and his kingdom, so he's willing for his reputation to suffer and his body to ache if it will exalt God. Look at the next verse, verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, and I will sing and make melody, not whine and complain. Number four, write this word down, satisfaction. Now, the more astute of you just said, wait a minute, those all start with S. Yes, I grew up Southern Baptist, and I can only get so far from my roots. I do have to alliterate every once in a while satisfaction. David says, my heart's locked in on you. You're my refuge, verse 1. In the midst of a wilderness, in the midst of nothing happening like I think it should, your promises, your comfort are enough for me. Now look, you can't miss this. Most important point, perhaps. That's the second time David's used the word steadfast. This time he's talking about him being steadfast toward God. The first time he used the word steadfast, what was he talking about? God's feelings toward him. Listen to this. You cannot be steadfast toward God until you're confident he's steadfast toward you. That's huge. Until you are confident that God's love is steadfast for you, you'll never be steadfast in your obedience toward him. The backbone of obedience is confidence in the steadfast love of God. If you are not confident in the goodness of God to you, that's where you get anxious. It's where you get tempted to sin. It's where you start to take revenge. It's where you start to compromise. All sin, Martin Luther said, begins with unbelief. All sin. Take revenge. Got a Miroslav Volf, a Cro Croatian, 
whose people experienced some of the worst genocide in our century, made this statement a few years ago at Princeton University in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, I think it was commencement address that he was giving for graduation. He said this. He said, people often say that those who believe in God and those who believe in judgment will become very judgmental themselves because if you believe that God is not pleased with what somebody's doing, you'll become very violent and harsh and critical. He said it's exactly the opposite. He said, it's those people who believe in a God of judgment that don't feel the need to take judgment on themselves. He said, when my people were being slaughtered, and after, even after it ended, and I would just, everything in me wanted to hate the people that had done so much to us, he said, knowing that there was a God who would one day give justice meant that I did not have to take that justice into myself. And I could sit back and rest and be confident in God because God is the one who holds justice in his hands. And that gave me the resources to not hate the people that had done so much wrong. That gave me the resources to even begin to love them. If you don't think that God's plan is good for you, then you're going to try to sample some goodness from outside of God's plan. It's only when you're confident in God's goodness that you'll, you'll rest and you'll wait on him. David says, God, all judgment is in your hands. I don't need to kill Saul. you got a purpose that you're going to fulfill in my life, and I'm confident in your ability to do it. You're my treasure and possession. I don't need glory and power. I want you to be exalted in the earth. I don't need to be, because I've got you. You're my possession. When you are confident, see, in the, the goodness of God's plan for you, you won't sample outside of it. And only when, only when, you're confident in his steadfast love to you, will you be steadfast toward him? I mean, imagine you were taking a friend out to eat. You're going to take him out to a super nice restaurant. You'd stop by a gas station on the way there, and there. You see me in a gas station, you know, stocking up on granola bars and beef jerky, and you're like, I'm taking you to the Angus barn. But they're just not confident that you're actually going to deliver. So they're, they're, they're getting all this cheap food. You'd be like, no, I'm going to buy you the meal of a lifetime. Did you write that one down, Angus barn, right on the Magnolia Grill? Did you write that down? All right. Because they're not confident in your goodness to them, they're going to try to sample a little goodness along the way. See, confidence. And God's steadfastness makes you steadfast. Four words, sovereignty, steadfast love, selflessness, satisfaction. When you're tempted to take matters in your own hands and you're tempted to sin, you're failing at one of those four, always. You don't really believe God's sovereign? You aren't convinced of a steadfast love? You still think like Saul that this is all about you and self? You're not satisfied with God and his approval of you? It always goes back to those things. So you got a guy or a girl who's upset because other people aren't recognizing how awesome they are. They're really sensitive to criticism. They're, they're sensitive to not being praised enough. They're really sensitive to not being given the right opportunities and promotions. I was like that. Sometimes I am like that. When you feel like that, here's the question you need to ask yourself. It's what I ask myself. Why is God's love and approval not enough for me? Why do I feel like I need everybody else's approval? Why is God's not enough for me? Because all of our problems go back to not understanding the gospel. We either don't understand how God feels about us or we don't value it enough. Easy enough, right? Easy enough? Not so fast. One little point I want to point out here. Look at this. Everybody's got lapses of faithfulness. Everybody. That's why we need community. Abigail speaks up in your small group. That's why we put you in a small group. That's why we encourage you to get in there. You want to know how to know the will of God in a situation? Listen. Two, two things God's given you to know the will of God. One's the word of God. One's the people of God. People come to me, they make some of the, I mean, they, they start telling me about just the dumbest decision that they make. And I look at them. I'm not making fun of any of you. We've had this conversation recently. I'm like, well, did you ask anybody about that before you made that decision? No, but I prayed about it. 
And I say this to them, and hopefully you don't think this is sacrilegious. I'm like, did you know that God has given you something more reliable than prayer? The church? In fact, that's how God answers your prayer for wisdom, is he gives you the church. You pray, and then you, after you pray, you go and, and ask counsel from godly people who help walk you through time so your faith doesn't lapse, because if David's faith lapsed, yours will too. You've got ladies who are making decisions about their marriage, and you're doing it all by yourself because the only people you're talking to your marriage about are people who don't know the word of God at all. And they're giving you worldly wisdom, and you're going to get worldly results. All right, here's the conclusion. Here's conclusion. Let me bring us back to the beginning. You find yourself in a situation where things are not exactly like you think they should be. You're not being treated right. Your ministry's not taking off. You're not relationally where you want to be. What do you do? Take matters into your own hands, revenge, compromise, get ahead of God, or do you trust him? Y'all, this is it. This is the test of your life. This is it. It really is. Some of you are on a precipice between disaster and blessing. You want to be out of a situation right now so badly, and you're about to compromise. You don't want to be single. You're not happy with your marriage. You're struggling. Don't do it. Don't do it. Do it God's way, God's time. You'll get God's blessing. Trust him and wait on it. And the resources to do this are in the steadfast love of Christ. They always are, which is why the most important element of this story is that you see how it points to Christ. Again, who, again let's, let's, we do this every week. Who are you in the story? You, David? David reminds you of you? Jesus is David. We're more like Saul. We're the ones who thought it was all about us. We're the ones who didn't trust God. We're the ones who took control of our lives and lived with jealousy. David didn't kill Saul, even though he had the chance to and frankly deserved to kill Saul. Jesus didn't kill us when he had the right to. David showed Saul grace. Jesus showed us grace. David here turns down a shortcut to the throne that he would have had by killing Saul. Do you know Jesus was offered a shortcut to the throne too? In the temptation of Christ, it says that Satan offered him a shortcut to the throne, and if Jesus had taken him up on it, he would have sat on the throne. But guess what? All of us would have died and gone to hell because Jesus wouldn't have died for our sins. So Jesus could have avoided death and gotten the throne, but because he chose death and turned his back on the throne temporarily, we got to live. David let Saul live so that David could get to God's throne in God's way. Jesus let us live. Jesus died. He turned his back on his right to the throne. And because he did that, we can live. All this is about Jesus. All of it. We're like Nabal who insulted Jesus. And Jesus refused to take vengeance on us. Dying instead of getting vengeance on us for what we've done. When you believe that, then you receive Jesus as your Savior. You receive the strength to wait on God and trust Him with your life. Discovering God's purpose for you, like David did, starts with receiving Jesus. It's the point of the whole Bible. Jesus is the king you're looking for. He's got the satisfying, steadfast love that your heart craves. Have you received that power? The power to wait patiently on God? It only comes through complete surrender to the Savior who died for you. You're listening to Summit Life with pastor, author, and theologian J.D. Greer. Get free access to J.D.'s Bible study resources on our website. You'll find sermon transcripts, blog posts, and more when you visit jdgreer.com. So, J.D., we've just begun your series on King David called Search for a King. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what we'll be learning in this series? You know, King David really was not just one of the most prominent characters in the Old Testament. He was also one of the most fascinating. Um, our prayer through this series is that in the life of David, we would learn to see Jesus as the ultimate king that we've all been searching for. You know, I think this is a particularly good reminder during an election here in the United States when a lot of people are thinking about what they're looking for in a leader. Sometimes Christians can disagree on politics and stay united in the gospel. Right. So to that end, during this series, one of the things we'd like to do here at Summit Life is to give a copy of a book called One Nation Under God, A Christian Hope for American Politics. I love the subtitle, Christian Hope for American Politics. And this is something we'd love to to give you because we believe it would enhance not only your understanding of how to think about politics, but also your love for Jesus. Let us send you this timely resource now. Just call 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or you can give easily online at jdgreer.com. Have you ever felt distant from God when you're going to church and doing all the right things? Maybe you even wonder whether or not you're saved. Tomorrow, Pastor JD addresses that feeling and describes how you can truly know where you stand with God. I'm Molly Vitovich, inviting you to listen on Friday to Summit Life with JD Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.